0: But our second lesson for this Lord's Day comes from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. We are going to be reading in chapter 4, verses 10 through the end of the letter, verse 23. And again, I invite you to turn in your Bibles and follow along as I read from God's holy and inspired word. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content, In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And herein ends the reading of God's word to us this day. May all praise and honor and glory be to him and to him alone. Amen. If you have a really good memory, you may recall during our walk through the book of Acts, probably about eight years ago or so, that it was in the city of Philippi that Paul and Silas began a church that started really with the conversion of Lydia, a businesswoman of some means, and then through the deliverance of a possessed slave girl, and then the conversion of a suicidal jailer. This church in Philippi grew to be one of Paul's strongest supporters over the course of his ministry. And his letter to the Philippians gives strong testament to that fact. I have chosen the closing verses of this letter for this Lord's Day for the simple reason that we are in the season of Thanksgiving, and I want to focus on a couple of things that Paul shares here that are timeless for every believer. One of the things that emerges in this letter is that Paul has a deep affection these saints. And what we learn in these last few verses is that part of the apostle's reason for writing is that the Philippians have once again sent support to him and he wants to thank them for it. So in many respects, this letter is a long thank you note to these dear saints who have been among the strongest supporters of Paul since the first day they met. Now, I don't know that if we or that we are always aware of the impact that our gifts make in the lives of those whom we love and care for, particularly when they are going through difficult circumstances. With great frequency, I hear the gratitude that is elicited in those who have been going through some trial upon their receipt of a card or a letter or a meal, or some other tangible means of support that causes them to realize that they are in the hearts and minds of other believers. One of the debilitating consequences, I think, of trial and tribulation is the pernicious thought that pervades our minds that we've somehow been forgotten, that we are all alone. And there are times when this Great force up against which we find ourselves may drive us to a place of isolation that only intensifies our feelings of being forgotten, but that also greatly hinders any means of relief from ever finding us. But when in the midst of the trial, word reaches us that we are not forgotten, that we are not alone, that someone is aware of what we're going through and they evidence that with a thoughtful note or a well-timed visit, or they share a book that they found meaningful when in a similar trial it can be most comforting. And when the outpouring of love and affection is great, when we realize that it isn't just one person who notices, but in fact it's many others who have noted the difficulty, and they've all responded in meaningful ways, it can be positively overwhelming. It fills us with joy and gratitude and confidence that the darkness which we are facing is not permanent but temporary. Now so it is with the Apostle Paul and the Philippians. After facing some logistical or circumstantial hurdles, they've finally been able enabled to reach Paul with their succor, their support. He is in prison And they have only now been able to make the necessary arrangements to reach him with their aid, sent by means of their mutual friend and brother in Christ, Epaphroditus. And when their gift finally reaches Paul, the effect was more than simply practical. We're not aware of what they particularly sent to him, but for the sake of argument, let's say that in their care package, There was a warm blanket. As practical as such a gift would be, should you be locked away in a Roman prison cell, you can imagine the further benefit that it served whenever he covered himself with it. For it was a constant testimony to him of his good friends in Philippi. Every time he wrapped it around his shoulders, his mind entertained the faces of those friends kneeling before God in intercessory prayer for him. And when he cuddled up at night under its warmth, his mind was enabled to race from the cold hardness of his nasty cell to the last time he broke bread with his friends on the Lord's day. And what a joy that had been for them all. Even on warm days, when the blanket simply anchored the end of his cot, it bore quiet witness to the fact that there was a support network out there present and able to assist him in time of need. And that knowledge lifted his spirits. It gave him great peace and joy, for he knew that ultimately God was the one who was at work in the Philippians to will and to work for God's good pleasure. But the benefit of the Philippians' gift was not simply to Paul, as it turns out, in Paul's way of thinking. It was also a benefit to the Philippians. He says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. There is a benefit that accrues to us when we live life generously when out of obedience to God we look for opportunities to be a tangible blessing to others that gift becomes an act of worship that God does not overlook Jesus spoke of these things towards the end of Matthew's gospel when he spoke about the importance of us doing acts of kindness towards the least of these my brothers for in doing so he said we were doing them unto him And in no less of a way than when we bring before the Lord his tithes and our offerings, when we respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and we share what we have with brothers and sisters in need, Paul is saying that such actions are evidence of our having been transformed by God. They are the fruit that is generated by a genuine faith. Now, it was not that long ago that we studied John 15, where Jesus spoke of the fact that he's the vine and we are the branches and that apart from him, we can do nothing. So we know that these beneficial acts are not something for which we take sole credit, but rather all of the glory belongs to him. But he also said that branches that fail to bear fruit are pruned away. They are cut off. They are tossed into the fire. And Paul is indicating here that the gift of the Philippians is evidence of their real, true connection to Christ. It is fruit born of the vine, and that evidence that they are connected to Christ brings Paul joy. As appreciative as Paul is of the Philippians' gift to him, Paul also wants to take the opportunity here to underscore another important lesson. In the midst of his current circumstance, Paul sees an opportunity to prepare the Philippians for facing similar trials themselves. And to that end, he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, learning to be content in America is a colossal feat because we are bombarded with advertising that frequently attempts to inject discontentedness into our minds. Advertisers do not want you to be content with what you have. They don't want you to be content with the car you drive or the house in which you live or the watch that you wear, or the TV you own, or your insurance provider, or the vitamins you take, or even your pillow, for crying out loud. And so they point out all the negatives of those things before they point you towards whatever they are selling. The apostle, however, wants the Philippians to know That God has done a work in him that has allowed him to be genuinely content regardless of his circumstance. There have been moments in his life like now when he's in prison. There have been other moments in his life, such as when he was in Ephesus for a couple of settled years and things were peaceful and financially plentiful. But in either case, Paul has learned to be content. He says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, were you aware that there is a secret to facing plenty and abundance? Did you notice that? Paul doesn't say, I've learned the secret of facing hunger and need. He says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Learning How to face plenty and abundance is probably the greater lesson. Because plenty and abundance are particularly tricky because they lull us into a different kind of contentment. And it is a contentment that actually can lead us away from Christ. Some of the nicest people I have ever met in my life were people who had the greatest of material resources. They were kind. They were pleasant. They were interesting. They were very accomplished. In a variety of ways, they were wonderful people. But at the same time, the majority of them were as far away from the Lord as you could possibly imagine, spiritually speaking. Their great material resources robbed them of any awareness that they were in great spiritual need. And as a result, they never learned the secret to facing plenty and abundance. Many of them saw their abundance as simply good fortune, rather than as an act of God's graciousness towards them. Some saw it as a product of their own efforts and creative genius. They fell into that dangerous pit that Moses spoke about in Deuteronomy 8. When he says and he warns the people by saying beware lest you say in your heart my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth beloved all that we are and all that we have is a gift of God's gracious provision the secret to facing plenty and abundance is to never forget that and to never lose sight of the fact that we are God's stewards of all that is within our control. When Paul declares, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, he was not only indicating that during the most trying times when he was suffering from hunger and need, Christ would strengthen him to be content and prevail. He was also saying that Christ was the enabling, strengthening power behind Paul's ability to face plenty and abundance with a proper contentedness. Learning to be content in every circumstance is a lifelong endeavor. But behind it is the quiet knowledge that God has not forgotten us. It is learning beyond all shadow of doubt that what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount concerning how to pray, how to not be anxious by considering the birds of the air and the flowers of the field All of that is not some mere platitude or helpful refrigerator slogan, but is God's constant declared will. Friends, your Heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows what you need even before you ask. So learning to be content in every circumstance involves learning to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. And to pray that way is very different from, Lord, let me win the lottery. It's a very different prayer. Give us this day our daily bread is a prayer designated to teach us contentment based upon the full assurance that each and every day God will supply our needs. Now notice what Paul says in verse 19 of our text. My God will supply every need of yours. In other words, the God whom I serve, the God whom I have been telling you about for a decade now, the God who has already given you his own dear son to die for you as a substitute for your sins, this God, my God, will supply every need of yours. We just read from Romans chapter 8 where Paul raises the question, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? That may be the greatest rhetorical question ever asked. Is there anything more valuable than the very Son of God? Is there anything more precious than the lifeblood of God's dear Son spilled out for the sake of those whom He loves? If not, then why would we ever think that God, who is rich in mercy, who has an abundance of spiritual blessings stored in the storehouses of heaven, why would we ever think that God would withhold anything that we need when he has already freely given to us the most precious thing he has, his only son? My God will supply every need of yours. Not all of your wants, not all of your perceived needs, but God will supply every need, every true and genuine need he will supply. Now, Paul knows this to be true, not only because Jesus declared that the Father would do so, but Paul has found this to be true from his own experience. He has witnessed the preserving power of God at work in his own life. When he was lying unconscious after being stoned and left for dead. He has witnessed the sustaining power of God at work after being shipwrecked. He has witnessed the faithfulness of God at work through gifts such as the Philippians sent through Epaphroditus. He has witnessed the supply of God through the loyalty of men like Silas and Timothy and Luke and others who have walked with Paul through very dark days being hounded by unrelenting adversaries. So he can say with all assurance, my God will supply every need of yours, whether it's material or spiritual or emotional or inspirational or physical, because God has done so without exception in Paul's own life. Even when Paul believed that he had a physical need that required healing, his thorn in the flesh as he called it, he came to realize through prayer that what he believed to be a need was not truly a need, but was in reality a gift from God to maintain Paul's humility. God supplied Paul with what he truly needed and God would not be dissuaded from keeping that thorn present to accomplish what God desired in Paul's life, which was God's best for him. And sometimes the things that we believe we need are not actually needs at all. But even in that, God will supply what we need in time to see it the way that God sees it. The universal need we all have and the ultimate source for satisfying our every need is found in Jesus Christ. Paul says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now this, of course, is a bottomless well. It is a fount from which we are able to draw without limit and without exhaustion. Jesus said to the woman at the well, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When we come to Christ, when we partake of him by faith, we have received a gift that keeps on giving eternally. There's no end to the spiritual blessings that pour from his hand. There is no end to the communion with him that continually sustains us in our darkest hours. There is no end to the power that resides in us by means of his Holy Spirit who constantly prays for us and continually works in us, supplying what we need day by day to make us more and more like Christ. And this was the gift of that the Philippians received through the Apostle Paul. They came to experience the reality of the resurrected Christ, who blessed them over and over again, and through the indwelling Holy Spirit, worked in them to the degree that right from the start, they were moved to share what they had so bountifully received. When Paul ran into difficulty in Thessalonica, not far from Philippi, These dear saints responded with thanksgiving to the good news they had received through Paul by sending him the first of many installments of aid and support. In a tangible way, they made known the change that had occurred in them. And in the same rhetorical way that Paul made the point that God will give us all things in and with Christ, perhaps we could ask a question of ourselves. Having received the greatest of all gifts, is there anything that we truly lack? And is there anything that we would withhold from him? Paul is rejoicing over the Philippians' great concern for the promulgation of the gospel. Their tangible support for Paul in his ministry... Stemmed from the fact that this was a real way for them to share in the broadcast of the gospel. It's why even today we want to be ever more involved in the support of those engaged in mission work, both at home as well as abroad. It stems from a desire to make known to others the good news that we have received. And if we have received the greatest gift that can ever be received, then is there anything we lack? If not, then is there any gift that we will not make in order that His name might be known? Now, if there be any doubt, then be assured of what Paul says, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is typically... That time of year that most churches bombard their congregations with pleas for financial commitments for the coming year. We tend not to do that because our hope and our prayer is that the truth of the gospel has permeated the hearts and the minds of folks who worship here to such a degree that they will be motivated by the Holy Spirit to give according to their riches and glory. But it is important for us to check ourselves with some frequency to be sure that we have learned to be content with our daily bread so that the promulgation of the gospel does not suffer for a lack of support. And it is important to check to see that we have discovered the secret to facing plenty and abundance so that we do not fall into that false contentment instead of one which resides in Christ alone. As I said last week, the American church needs to hear afresh the words of the prophet Malachi when he declares the word of the Lord, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, we will never come to understand the faithfulness of our God if we refuse to put Him to the test in this way. My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in Christ Jesus, but how will anyone know that to be true if they do not bring before the Lord His full tithe as well as our free will offerings? Now, I realize this is counterintuitive to us. But if you want to know the joy of the Lord, if you want to know the faithfulness of God, if you want to know the truth of which Paul speaks to the Philippians, then increase your partnership in the gospel and thereby put the Lord of hosts to the test. And you will discover, as did the apostle, that God will always supply your need. Let me invite you to bow your heads with me in a moment of prayer this morning.